Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Dr. Enrique Para, Assistant Professor Social Sciences at the Federal University of Sao Paulo, Brazil. We talked to Enrique about his interests and projects in the space of data transparency and civic activism in Brazil. We cover the definition of transparency, governance and the right data, legal governance in Brazil and the case for radical democratization through open data and technology. We cover his project in the city of Ubatuba, where he helped build a prototype that aimed to empower social groups to access information. We talk about the academic, public and private sectors, their position on open data and relationship to each other. Lastly, we talk about his future plans in the technology space. We hope you enjoy it. Um, hi, friends. We are here today with Enrique. Hi, Enrique. Hello, Karina. <laughs> well, I'm really happy to have you on our podcast um, and to um, introduce our listeners to um, your work. So um, just to start it off, tell us a bit more about you. Um, what has been your career path with, um, with technology, social science, and with the space that you are in right now? Uh, hi, Corina. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, well, I'm a social scientist. Uh, I work as a sociologist, uh, a professor at the Federal University of Sao Paulo. Well, before I become a teacher and a researcher at the university, I had some experience on public management. NGOs and social movements in topics related to socioeconomic development, self-management co-ops, and workers' enterprise, uh, dealing especially with problems related to alternative social technical uh, arrangements mm -hmm. under democratic management or workers' control. I mean, and that was like back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. By the, nine of, by the end of the 90s, beginning of 2000, I started to be more involved in media activism and cyber activism and technopolitics. And during the time, I participated in many different activist groups. And, and at a certain point, I decided to do a PhD program to investigate the relations between digital technologies, mostly in, in reality, mostly, mostly image technologies at that time, mm -hmm. and how it, it was related to the emergency of new knowledge regimes and power relations. So that was like in the mid, middle of uh, first years of 2000. Well, that's how I try to articulate it, um, social and political issues with technical and technological de uh, development. So if I could say in the last 10 years, uh, I've been dealing with how digital technologies related to a double effect. From one side, uh, with the creation from new forms of information and knowledge production, mm -hmm. a field that could be related to open data, open science, uh, access to knowledge, but also alternative knowledge, knowledge systems production. And on the other hand, how digital technologies impact and new forms of power and techniques mm -hmm. of control. And then we talk in terms of surveillance, control, mm -hmm. and privacy issues. Yeah. And, and why is I mean, this topic um, important to you personally? 
very important because uh, digital technologies, it's becoming uh, more and more present in everyday life in many different aspects mm-hmm. of everything that we're doing has been mediated by digital technologies. And if from one side, they really offer uh, many benefits, at the same time, they have other effects that are not very known. And since we're producing a lot of information and we don't have as much control of how this information is produced, how it's circulated Mm -hmm. and how it's used by other organizations or companies and and also by governments, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what I'm interested to see is how these things, how they come together. I mean, with digital technology, we are seeing the production of a great amount of information, which are being used for many, many different issues and very important things. But at the same time, how it creates new possibilities to control and also governance over over the citizens. Mm -hmm. Can, Can you give some examples from what you've seen around you? Yes, I mean, if we come back to 2014, when we had the Snowden revelations, I mean, it was like an important moment for many countries because people were not aware of how surveillance was being working through most of the technologies of everyday life, right? Mm-hmm. And also when you come to political activism, um, things related to uh, right to right to information, privacy, and how this information can be used against the citizens. Um, We've seen many examples of how people are being affected negatively Mm -hmm. by state control, right? Your your studies or your interests have been around Brazil, right? Or you've done the research somewhere else too? No, mostly in Brazil. Mm -hmm. But I've been working a little bit in another place. Uh, in the last six months, I've been working in Madrid. In reality, I, I lived there for six months mm-hmm. for a research project on citizen labs. But I mean, in, I'm in Brazil since the end of 2016. We've been under a new government after the impeachment of Dilma's president. From my understanding, it was a kind of parliamentary coup d'etat. And since then, we've been under, um, I mean, there's new policies and measures being taken in terms of uh, militarizations of civil life. I mean, in many big cities, um, we can say like, for example, in Rio de Janeiro, it's under a kind of uh, military intervention right now. And when we are concerned about the um, liberty of speech and access to information and also the right to protest. These things uh, mm. have been very, it, it's a concern. Yeah. I mean, we are now very concerned with, uh, with citizens and with the possibility to activism through digital technologies. Yeah. And um, what type of groups have you been working with to um, make your project visible or um, engage with these activism groups? Um, I think one one group that I, I'd like to to point it's a network called Lavit. It's mm-hmm. a Latin America research network on surveillance technology and society. 
we have different universities in Brazil that participated within, and also people from Argentina, Mexico, and people in other places. And we had a seminar every year. We try to do a seminar in a different country in Latin America. Mm-hmm. So, like in Chile last year. Uh, but also the OCSD net, it's an open and collaborative science in development. So, because that's, that's the thing, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in also in, in, to deal with problems related to open, open data, open access, and how we can see it in new forms of science production, right? Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, how it also related to new surveillance policies. I think that these are the two major groups that I've been working with. Mm. And how, how can you start unpacking um, this complex situation and, and use it to kind of build outputs out of it that, that can improve access? Can you give a few examples around that? Yes, I mean, if we want to relate it, uh, technology, governance, and mm-hmm. transparency, right? And from our work on the open and collaborative science development, one good example was the project that we were developing in, in the coast of Sao Paulo State mm-hmm. in a small city called Ubatuba. We were looking into to how different stakeholders were acting in a, in, a, in a conflict over a territory, right? Because at the moment, uh, there was a redefinition of the law that regulated the, the zoning system, I mean, what, uh, which defines what you can do in the territory, right? Yeah. And, and what we did during the, it was a two years uh, research project. We tried to develop with different social actors in the territory. We tried to develop prototypes and also practice where open data and open science strategies could could be used to empower the citizens and certain social groups in order to have better access to strategic information that that was important uh, in order to qualify the political debate over the redefinition of the law, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you give an example um, of one of these prototypes? uh, Yes, I mean, we we developed... a, a geo a data, a geographical informational system based on collaborative and open and free software technology that help to integrate different different databases that all social organizations had about their territories. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to do so, uh, we need to create uh, a governance among the different actors to see how we could use this information in order to empower them in the political debate, right? Mm-hmm. Because many information uh, was not uh, properly available. And there was also information, uh, strategic information about the territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was available, but it was not organized in a way that people could use to inform a political position. Uh, because we are dealing with very, uh, in that case, we're dealing with actors that have very, asymmetric positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're dealing with uh, indigenous uh, communities, quilombolas, and, and at the same time, real big oil companies that are trying to intervene in the territory, right? Mm-hmm. So the quality of access to strategic information was a very uh, conflictive point. And working with 
issues related to open government, open data, and transparency over uh, with certain technologies mm-hmm. help to inform the actors in order to better qualify their participation yeah. in the political debate. Yeah. What was the position of these actors towards your um, activity or your prototype? Was it, was it positive? Was it negative? How did they um, engage with you? It was very positive. Actually, um, it was not our decision to create it. Uh, what we actually do, it's work together with the groups uh, to be side by side and see what emerges as a, as a shared need among the different actors on that case. Mm-hmm. And, and through that, we try to create an, a strategy that could be uh, more open and participated with all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, uh, in that case, we only had like a, a prototype. And in order to really implement it and to make it sustainable, it's going to take a longer time because the, there are many different levels of lit, uh, digital literacy among those actors. And so that's an important issue. I mean, how, so it, it implies in different temporalities among those, those actors, which have very different uh, cultural background and also socioeconomic conditions. Yeah. But in many, but in, in that case, people were very happy to, to engage on, on the experience. Yeah. How do you decide um, which data is needs to be shared, or um, do you have some criterias to decide that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a very important question, Karina, because uh, we must look at, from my point of view, we must look at transparency not as an abstract mm-hmm. uh, value, but all, always in a very situated and contextual uh, perspective. Uh, because um, I, I like to think of transparency as uh, um, the ability to control the level of openness and closeness of a certain resource, right? So, because in a certain case, transparency over sensitive information can have a, a counter effect of what we want you to create, right? Mm-hmm. In any case, we must really evaluate the, um, the impact in a contextual perspective to see if it's, that information brings better participation, better political debate, or if sometimes can bring harm. So that's why I like to, to put it transparency more in a, as a, a situated and really contextual perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, what about governance? Do do you, you were mentioning that you designed a governance system as well around this? Yes, I mean, on that case, we're coming. About, we're talking more in terms of uh, a governance of a common resource, and try to think of knowledge also as a common resource, and the governance that we need to implement uh, as a mode of collective responsibility among the different. Uh, stakeholders that are working over this uh, common resource, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look at the uh, state governance, in, in Brazil, we, we actually have in reality a very proactive and a good legal framework towards open data. However, uh, the problem is that how we qualify uh, the quality of the social participation uh, on the process uh, in order to really 
be able to affect the political decisions. I mean, in our case, uh, what we saw during this project was that information, information was available at a certain level. However, when it came to take the final decision over very important topics, people could not participate at the level. Hmm. So in, a, in, a, in one way, there was open uh, government in terms of how people could access information. Mm -hmm. However, uh, it was a very closed governance when it came to final decisions over very conflictive points, right? Mm -hmm. So in a certain way, uh, if we don't have um, the improvement of radical democratizations within the democratic representative space, mm -hmm. it's not enough to have open data. Yeah. I mean, it helps, but it's not enough. Mm. So do you think technology can enable that too? I think technology, it's a very important resource to help to improve it, definitely, yes. But at the same time, you have to think the conditions and that technology can empower the citizens, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to think in, a, in terms of, um, it's, it's, a, it's an idea of uh, technology sovereignty. People in Barcelona, they're, they're developing very interesting things that put in contrast to the model of smart cities, for example, mm -hmm. right? I mean, when you have smart cities and some types of smart governance models, people are not in a, in a very positive positions in order to have control over their data that they're producing. I, what I've seen in the experience of Barcelona is that they're trying to develop different uh, infrastructures and different policies that can empower the citizens to have control over the information that is being produced hmm. by, the citizen, by, the citizen, by the citizens and over the citizens, right? And so they're working with the idea of um, technology sovereignty to, to think in terms of how uh, we can use technology to improve governance, but in the perspective to empower citizen control. I mean, and I think that it's a very interesting thing because brings technology to the people's side. I mean, not mm. only to to improve uh, government management. Yeah, right? yeah, I have a question, but bear with me because um, it's it won't be that short to put uh, through to you. So I love this example that you're giving with the smart cities because for me it reson it makes me think about um, governance um, and technology but also what's its relationship to the ideology of that culture where it's being used inside, right? Because if you have a okay. culture or a, or a governance model that it's a participatory democracy where the, the rules of the law are, are kind of there to empower citizens where they want them to participate and to influence public discourses, that is one thing. But then when that um, technology happens to be within a system, within a social regime that is not necessarily that democratic, that the intention of, yep. the, of the governing um, um, system is different. Yeah. How do you how do you navigate that? Right. Like you can have yeah. you. And, and that brings me back to your to what you were speaking earlier about surveillance. No. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Because even the concept of surveillance and its connection to technology makes me think, okay, what's the power dynamic of, of that system in which this happens, right? Um, yep. What's the role of the citizens to influence um, to influence society and governance? Because when you talk about the world surveillance, that means already has embedded inside of it as, um, a system of power. 
Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, can you can you speak a bit to that? Um, yes, but I think that you you made the point. I mean, I totally agree with what you have said. Um, I mean, we need technology to to help to have smart citizens, right? And the idea of smart, I mean, there is this this idea of smart as like surveillance marketed as revolutionary technology. I mean, it's yeah. it's a kind of joke. But uh, the thing is, if we don't have um, a, not only a culture but an infrastructure mm. of uh, civil rights, political yes, rights, yes. and also a political culture that enforce and qualify citizen participations, hmm. the risk we have is that we, we are going through a, a type of corporatization of the, um, the, the smart citizens' uh, cities, right? In most of the cities that we, we have this kind of service, and in Rio de Janeiro, and in, in, I mean, in many cities in Brazil during the soccer cups and during the Olympic games, uh, the cities, they had to implement some kind of uh, smart uh, cities kind of management infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. All those technologies, they're, they're bought from huge corporations and they're all closed and proprietary uh, technology. I mean, people not only don't have control over it, and in, 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 in this specific case, even the government that operates it doesn't know exactly what's going on, right? Yeah. Because uh, it's so opaque. Mm-hmm. And in reality, what we've seen is through a kind of security discourse, we've seen um, implementation everywhere of a, a type of corporatization and militarization of public space. Uh, and these two things, they come together. Right. So and in societies, and, and I think that's the case of Brazil, where we don't have uh, such establishment of uh, democratic culture, mm-hmm. the risks that are at stake, they are huge because it's very easy to use those technologies against the citizens. So what is the intention of these activist groups that you, that, that you said you've worked with? Um, how do they kind of plan to make their mark in society and kind mm-hmm. of use use this open data or transparency to improve the system? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think in, in Brazil we have different, uh, many different groups, right? And what's interesting among, among them is that we have, for example, a very strong community of, of uh, activism in the field of security and privacy and right to speech. I mean, this is a, it's a very strong community that organized, for example, uh, a crypto rave, which is an annual uh, venue. Uh, it's an international event that happens every year in Sao Paulo. And for the last five years, it has been one of the biggest crypto haves in the world. And it's very interesting because it's congregates different uh, activists and organizations. They are really concerned with privacy, freedom of speech. And also, what are the technologies that can provide uh, these conditions, right? Mm-hmm. So this is one field of uh, really strong activism that we've seen in Brazil. At the same time, there's a strong community of activism in, that is more focused on democratizations of the communications, mm-hmm. right? And those groups, they're more uh, organized 
towards the development of public policies and the regulations of federal and state level policies mm. in order to democratize, democratize um, the communications and then from radio, television, but also internet, right? Mm. So right now, these groups, they're, they're doing a very important um, work to establish a new um, regulation for personal data protection. Brazil doesn't have it at the time uh, a very good law for personal data protection. Uh, we've seen the, the example, the recent example of Europe with this new agreement uh, mm-hmm. towards the, the regulation over personal data, right? Yeah. So in, in Brazil, we are exactly at this moment. And these groups, they're very proactive and they're very, they have a good success, I think, in establishing a, a good public debate over those issues. For example, in 2014, they pioneered um, what we call the Marco Civil de Internet, which was established as a national framework to reinforce basic rights and and also net neutrality at the federal government level, right? And it it only happened because there was this strong community of activist groups Hmm. and social organizations that were fighting for it. Yeah. What happens in the in the commercial space with this topic? Well, I think there's um, uh, there is a conflict right now, especially between the big companies. Uh, from one side, companies that are more that are from the internet business that have a different position if we compare with the telecoms. At a certain level, it's possible to from from, from the social perspective, it's, it's possible to establish alliance with certain companies that are more interested in a certain, certain type of regulations. So what we see is that different companies, it depends on the, t- on, on, on the kind of business that they're um, more involved in, right? Mm. So and in Brazil, we have different, I mean, if you go to telecom infrastructure, they will have a position that it's not so in favor for net neutrality, for example. And then if you go for um, internet business companies that are working with a, a business model mm-hmm. more focused on, on another economy, right? Mm-hmm. They might have a different position. I mean, and mostly when it comes to to, to data, to personal data, then we have different things because then we, we see um, companies that are not from internet business, but for example, the bank system, which is a very strong actor mm. in this debate. The, the Brazilian Federation of Bank, they're really concerned. They, they want to, to create mechanisms that make, uh, in their discourse, they say it makes more safe, but in reality, what creates it's the possibility to rastreability and, and to make more identifiable the, the users, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I think we have a very uh, mixed type of scenario and, it, and we have to make a map, I mean, between all different companies in terms for how you could compare for each legislation. Yeah, yeah. I wonder which of these players hold the public trust? Um, it's hard to say. The public trust. Yeah. I don't know. 
I think one 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 thing that we that I mean with all this kind of um, craze around security and protection, but yeah, you have to think like protection against what, against whom, you know, like what's the what's the discourse um, and towards which actor it points um, um, an, a negative intention. Like, for example, yeah, the yeah. U.S. or Europe, maybe right now, that kind of, um, I think, target is mostly put on, on the corporate actors, um, yes. less than on the public actors. Um, mm-hmm. So I Definitely. was, I was yeah. wondering, as, as you were talking oh. about and describing the situation in Brazil, um, I was wondering what would be that in Brazil? Like, what is uh-huh. that discourse of, you know, uh, protection against whom and, and, and who are uh-huh. those actors that have those negative um, intents in the public perception? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I wouldn't be so sure about to say, to make a comparison, but mm-hmm. people don't trust government, right? In, 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 in our present situation, it, the situation is even worse, right? So the level of confidence in government and in, in all the state or, uh, apparatus, it's very low. At the same, same point, when we look to very important private companies that operate in the telecom service, they are the champion in when you have complaints in, in terms of users' rights and consumer rights, they're the champions in complaints, right? Hmm. So... I don't know. They, no one, no one is doing well <laughs> in reality. So I don't think people trust any of these organizations. But the, the 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 problem in reality is that people are not aware of what can be done with uh, their uh, personal data, right? And what is being done with their personal data by the public and the private sector. And in reality, the things uh, gets gets worse. When, because when you look close to the public sector and what we, what, we, what we have experienced in the last years in Brazil is that when you look closer and closer to the public sector, from the very behind and or the bottom of it, it's not public at all. I mean, we have a really private uh, logic or a private uh, corporation working, right? So that's the thing. I mean, the frontier between the public and the private or the corporate sector, it's very tense Mm -hmm. in our situation. And that's what makes the the situation even even worse, right? Because the frontier sometimes is not very clear. Yeah. So how do do you see the the role and the position of the academic sector in in that space? the academics in terms of internet and digital technology public debate in Brazil, uh, we have now, uh, um, I think, an interesting scenario. There are many research groups that are being more active right now, but it's not as much as it could be, I think. I think the, when we look at from a human science perspective, uh, this debate is not so present. Uh, as I would wish. Mm. So we have uh, researchers, we have some research groups that are more proactive in the public debates when, rego- when it regards internet, surveillance, privacy issues, but they're not as, ma- as many. Mm. And, and when we look close to human science, social science departments, technology, it's not as present as it could be 
uh, as we've seen in other areas, like in communi- uh, communications, for example, mm-hmm. debate over uh, technology, it's a lot more present, right? Mm-hmm. STS, stu- I mean, Social Studies of Science Technology, and concentrate most of it, its debate in, in Brazil, but mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. But in sociology and anthropology, only in, in the recent years that it, it became um, a lot more central to their to, to the investigations agenda. Mm-hmm. And, and do you see also a, a relationship between them and the uh, private sector? Um, any crossovers? Any work that is being done? Uh, between social scientists and private sector yeah especially especially yeah especially sectors that as you said are quite um, quite strong in that field like the telecom or the banking sector mm-hmm. do they do they approach you to kind of understand deeper these implications of data uh-huh. or is there any form of relationship happening yes that's a good I mean it's a good question because um, in a certain way it, 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 this question helps to illuminate the way the social scientists field organized. I mean, how, how it's organized in, in Brazil, right? Um, from my perspective, I think that the social scientists, they are not, uh, it, it, it's a lot more concentrated on, on academic research and we don't have as much interaction with the business sector, especially technology business sector. It's only in, in a very recent years that we start to see technology business sectors uh, starting to work with anthropologists, for example, when you see uh, user experience departments, for example, mm-hmm. now anthropologists are being hired to work within these sectors. But it's not so uh, common, right? I mean, for, for my for my experience, when I look at social science departments in in Brazilian universities, uh, there is not as much presence or collaboration with technology and business development sector. So um, in, in, your, in your line of interest, which is this data um, transparency and, and surveillance, um, I was wondering, like, all of that information and all of that knowledge might is relevant to any form of technological product that works with data, right? Um, even okay. by, you know, telling some of those people that develop products like engineers or product managers what to pay attention to as they are building them, no? the type of algorithms that they put inside their product and the implications of the data that is captured by those algorithms. So I was wondering, have you been approached or have you seen some of your mm-hmm. students been approached to, to mm-hmm. offer that kind of knowledge? Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I, mean I, I think that's the direction that I think social scientists should go towards. I mean, uh, how we can, I mean, that, that's what I'm interested in, uh, especially in the last couple of years. I mean, how can we work with engineers, like mm. architectures, computer scientists, and work with them, and how we can help to incorporate in technology, in, especially in technology development, aspects related to the kind of world we want to produce. Mm. I mean, I, want, yes. I like to think of technology as, as an environment where certain modes of existence can emerge, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at technology as an environment where modes of existence can emerge, uh, we are always producing different worlds with technology. And that's why I think it's so important for that sociologists and anthropologists could work together with engineer architectures mm-hmm. But at the same time, sociologists and anthropologists, they must uh, get closer 
and be aware of the technicities. I mean, how it works, right? Mm-hmm. It goes from, from both directions. I mean, yeah. we, we, we must learn a lot from, from the engineers, from the architectures, in order to develop what, I like the idea of the, what Simon Domes called like a, a technical culture, right? Mm-hmm. So if we work together with engineers and computer scientists, we could help to identify how values, practice, and modes of interactions, how they can emerge for certain technologies, mm-hmm. right? So they are either, either they are embedded in the technology, either they are inscribed in the technology, or different cultural, economic, and personal political aspects can emerge through the adoption of a certain technology. So since uh, anthropology and sociologists, they're more sensitive to these aspects, uh, I really think they can contribute a lot. I mean, and, and I also see that as a uh, as a responsibility. Yeah. I mean, I think sociologists we we should work. I mean, not only within the technology development sector. Yeah. But I like to think of sociologists and anthropologists working in hospital, working in different. I mean, in different sectors, because. Yeah. Uh, we can help to, to, to develop a different perspective, right? Yeah. Not only how we adopt the use of technologies to be, make it more situated, mm-hmm. but how we can help to develop other technologies that yeah. are more situated to the needs and use. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I want to ask you about your your next plans in this space. But before I do that, I have an, just one last question on your, um, on your current project about data transparency and surveillance. Uh-huh. So... I wanted to ask you, how do you get about building ethics around um, working with these topics? Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. For the person or the, um, the social scientist that wants to work in that space or wants to study that space or wants to build a prototype um, around data transparency or data governance. Um, or, so how do, you, how do you go about building um, um, ethics uh, I would say like an ethical and an aesthetical and a political uh, behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it means not only uh, how we are responsible for, how we, uh, how we are in charge of our actions, but how we, can, how we are able um, to evaluate the effect mm-hmm. uh, of what we're doing, of what you're producing in the world. Yeah. I mean, uh, so that's why I think it's important to understand and the, uh, how technology works, right? Because otherwise you cannot mm-hmm. uh, anticipate, you cannot imagine how um, a certain information, cer- yeah. a certain transparency over issue, how it can affect mm. certain things, right? Yeah, so, and, and it goes both ways, right? If you're an engineer building an algorithm, um, definitely, yeah. If you don't, yeah. if you don't, um, if you're not aware of the social dynamics that you're um, changing or disrupting or inserting your algorithm inside, you might not anticipate all the ways in which um, that algorithm might do harm, right? Perfect. Yeah. Mm. So I mean. It's how we can become more responsible uh, of what we do, of how, uh, how we act, and also the effect of what we are doing and producing. And, yeah. Uh, right? That's great. Enrique, tell me more about your um, next, next steps and your plans um, in the technology space. Uh, I'm trying to move closer to engineers, architecture. I mean, 
towards more a kind of applied sociology, right, mm-hmm. or anthropology, through the idea of what what I'm calling uh, a lab for technopolitics for commons production, right? I'm interested in how we can develop prototypes, how we can develop social technology among social groups that can respond to the empowerment of a certain community. And I like to do it through the production of uh, situated knowledge with these groups. I mean, uh, I'm talking about uh, affect communities, social movements, they're dealing with uh, a certain problem. And I'm interested to work with them in, in establishment of a, a type of an informal, an informal lab uh, where we can create a type of research, a type of collaborative research uh, through the creation of prototypes or artifacts mm-hmm. or social technologies that helps to address the problem they're they're facing, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to do so, we have to work together in a very uh, horizontal and democratic and open perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to really create a capability of care and and also of listening Mm -hmm. to establish a different temporality of working with those groups. Yeah. And at the same time, to be aware of the technological perspective. I mean, how we can use certain technologies or how can we adapt uh, technology to address a specific problem. Mm-hmm. Right? Would, would so, you um, involve the, the private sector as well in, in, this, in this plan? Yes, we can. I mean, it uh, really depends on the, on the issue that we have been dealing with. But I think that we, the more hybrid, the more diverse is the community that is uh, able to address um, a social problem or a public uh, issue, uh, it's better, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so uh, I really like to think in terms of more hybrid forums where we have more uh, diversity as we can have it. Yeah. Right. And and what's so, the um, what's the stage that you are at with this project? I mean, right, um, right now I'm I'm organizing um, a graduated course to to try to to establish a theoretical framework uh, to try uh, in reality to organize it right because I'm trying to put together different theoretical perspectives mm-hmm. to address this problem. So um, it's a kind of mix-up of social studies, of science and technology studies, and political sociology. But at the same time, I'm developing a new, uh, we call like an extension project. It's a kind of community work within the university. Uh, I've been working with community projects since I've started uh, working as a professor at university. And right now, I'm trying to design a new, a new project. Right, that's mm-hmm. what planning to do in the next six months, um, and I'm also doing it uh, through a very interesting experience that I I had during a six time uh, six month period of research in in Madrid, working with uh, Antonio La Fuente, mm-hmm. uh, which is a research that I um, have established a very good uh, partnership. 
and was very inspiring uh, his work in, in what we call the Laboratorio del Procomun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a commons lab uh, that happened with many different activities in the, in the Media Lab Prado in, in Madrid. Somehow I'm, um, I have learned a lot uh, during that period. And now I'm trying to create a different type of community and research project in, in Brazil. Mm. Are, you, uh, are you focused inside. on a specific um, area of problems that you're trying to solve? Yes, yes I am. Um, actually, I'm, I'm looking in two different territories. In Sao Paulo City, I want to work uh, in a specific territory of downtown Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. where it's going through a very, very strong, but at the same time, violent type of transformation, a kind of gentrification process. And to work with it, I'm mostly going to deal with uh, cartography and geographic informational system with open and, and, collaborative and open and free softwares, mm-hmm. but also with multimedia production. I mean, to put simply, it would be a kind of counter-expertise or citizen science research project uh, that could be implemented with the more vulnerable social groups that have been working in this territory. Mm, okay. And, and to bring their perspective to, um, to the public eye in contrast to the gentrification process? That's, uh, that's one, one possibility, yes. Wow, that's, that's interesting. And what about the second one? You said you had two, right? Yes, the second one, it's, I mean, after this two years project in the Brazilian, in Sao Paulo coast, it was such an amazing experience. I really want to send you some documents that we have produced and we have also a video documentary. I really want to continue working with those communities and my plan is to establish a kind of a, a community research project on that territory. I mean, but that's a, a further yeah. and longer, mm-hmm. but it's something that, that I want to, to nurture. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, in, in reality, uh, I've been working on it. <laughs> I haven't stopped it, but that's something that I want to keep. I mean, this is, it's a very important territory that has been under very rapid change because there is a real, a real strong real estate speculation and a tourist economy but especially an oil economy that has been arise since the pre-salt economy has started. And, it, and it's one of the areas that we have one of the richest, and actually what we have left of the Atlantic rainforest is on that territory. So I think it's an important territory to try to, I mean, to work with, right? Yeah, well, they, they, they both sound amazing and we're going to put everything that you sent us um, as links for our listeners to have a look and, um, and learn more about this project. Great. Yeah, but I think now our time is like almost up. So thank you so much, Enrique, for, uh, for being with us today um, and for bringing this perspective on the show. We really value and appreciate it. And Corinna, thank you very much for the opportunity. Actually, it was a very interesting opportunity to think about all those issues and also to practice a little bit of English. It has been a long time <laughs> since I don't speak. So anyway, um, I'd like to keep in touch and see how we can cooperate and keep doing more exchange of information and experience. 
I'm very interested in what you guys are doing and with this human show. Yes. Uh, so we'll keep in touch. Definitely. And thanks very much for the listeners as well. Right. Okay. See you next time, Enrique. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.